And I'm an ant with sausage fingers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast, the weekly podcast dedicated to conversations on faith and culture. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. Hello, I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thank you for joining us for our first anniversary. This episode marks a whole year of us doing Irenacast, which is pretty awesome. We celebrated our 50th, but this is our year anniversary. What's the, what's the gift for a year anniversary? Does anyone know? Paper. I know that. Paper. Yeah, I know it's paper. Pretty sure. Because I gave my wife tickets to Wicked on Broadway, our very first anniversary. That Pretty is so awesome. romantic. Paper it was ticket. romantic. Oh, yeah. look at you. And I actually got caught up, caught up in the romance. That moment where <laughs> the witch is like flying and the whole stage is her cape. And I was what? inspired. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So the real question, Alan, is did you really do that? Or did God purpose that? Or did Ooh. your brain just know that you were going to do that and you know, had no real Was my biology speaking in the matter? Like, oh. Yes. Mm. Or has this show just been a result of random brain function or divine intervention? And that is the subject we will be tackling today. We are going to be asking the question, do our beliefs on free will affect us? Not just do we have free will, but does what we think about free will affect how we live? Yes. And in our segment this week, we're going to be bringing back our would you rather game or whatever we want to call it. Um, Yeah. So... Free will. This is, I don't know about you two, but this is kind of the framework or the idea or topic that really, for me, pushed me down the path of theological inquiry and that really started kind of getting my mind flowing as far as there's more to Christianity, the Bible and theology than I've been hearing in church and in Sunday school. So to me, this is, this is a fun issue. Yeah. This is a really um, pivotal issue. specifically around Calvinism, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit, but that was kind of like, cause I was in a mode of evangelicalism that was charismatic. So free will was important. And I dedicated a lot of time and reading and effort to disprove that Calvinism was a thing. So anyway, that's, that's so Calvinism in the one. sense of John Calvin and the institutes from like the 1500s talking about predestination, right? That's what you mean by yeah, Calvinism. Tulip. Tulip. That's actually, it's not very Calvinist. Really? <laughs> it's that's more what Calvinist. Everybody says. That's the, yeah. that's the um, in thing to say. Calvinists aren't even really Calvinists because John Calvin was different. And maybe that's true. Well, have you read the Institutes? Because he doesn't I, talk you about. You know, actually, I did have a pastor that made me buy them. He talks about I providence a lot, those, but, but it's not the same concept as what we think about as mm. predestination in a lot, a lot of us. Luther did a lot on Luther hated free will, so a lot of it's from Luther too. And Calvin was influenced by Luther, so hated. <laughs> he stayed up at night, angry. <laughs> Wish we could give this up. I feel like that most of Martin Luther's life was staying up at night. Oh my being gosh. Angry. Oh. Yeah. So so the nailing things to doors and burning down villages. The he debate was a, you're he was a guy. He was an interesting guy. <laughs> the debate you're referencing is just the question do we respond to God's like invitation to relationship freely of our own accord or does god draw us beforehand and woo us in the sense that we have less of a free will to respond we're predestined for it so i think that's what you mean by calvinism so you grew up in a 
in a church context where the free choice of responding to God was so important that you had to disprove some of the theological stuff that other people talked about. Right, Jeff? That's what you're... Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Why'd you have to disprove that? Yeah, I'm curious about this. Because I was young and brash. And whenever I (laughs) thought something was right, I needed to disprove everyone else's being wrong. That's why. You are a contrarian. (laughs) I am. And that's part of my nature is that I don't... Yeah. Sometimes it's on purpose and sometimes not. Well, what I mean is like not you as a person, but why did you feel it was necessary for your charismatic theology to prove that you had this free will to respond to God? Was it like, because the invitation is so important, like it's like, it's so important to respond to God that you had to protect that freedom to do so. No, it had nothing to do with God. (laughs) What did it have to do with? (laughs) Well, you said it was theological. Well, if I was going to believe something, I wanted to make sure that I was right. And I would say that that's true for all of us. Like I, I'm the type of person that I'm not going to just believe, that's believe right. something blindly. Part of my contrarian nature. But then also just I knew this was something or an idea that I was going to put my life into, which I eventually did. And I wanted to make sure that I was confident in what I believed because I saw too many people around me that weren't. And not – well, I saw a lot of people that were confident in what they believed but not informed so much in what they believe. So today we're talking – we, we talked about this a, a lot ahead of time. Like, do we talk about just is there free will or not? The classic question that philosophers have been talking about for 3,000 years, back to the Greeks. Or do we talk about how that question affects us? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a pretty different scope, right? So what you're talking about, Jeff, is like how that question affected your theology and the way people around you acted. And that's what we're really interested in talking about today. Because we could cite philosophers that believe one way or another or theologians that believe one way or another. There's whole books that are written about them. And uh, even the scientific community, probably like science and psychology has been really interested in whether we have free will or not. There's this guy who was uh, really well known, Ben Liebet in 1985, that did some studies and came to the conclusion that we don't have free will. Our bodies just respond and then thought comes later to explain it. And now there are German scientists that are saying, well, actually, we have the ability to modify the way we even respond to the biological impulses. Anyway, all that to say that there are really good scientific reasons to believe one way or the other. And instead of parsing all the differences between those, we're going to see how it actually impacts a community of faith or our personal theology. Because I grew up in a very different background, apparently. I grew up in a very Calvinistic setting. Are you saying that yours wasn't, Jeff? You guys were not Calvinistic? Not at all. Okay, no. we, we were. I, I remember in my Bible college days, I said I was thinking about you know Arminianism as in like uh, we can respond to God freely of our own free will. That's an important choice versus this predestination. You have no choice. You're either going to be a Christian or not, and that's determined before you're born. I said I was questioning which side I was on, I guess, or w- what I believed, and people thought even questioning Calvinism was like destroying the gospel because you're destroying the concept that God is in control to say that, which is super ironic because (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I can't help it, man. I mean, like the the joke was, uh, if somebody got really upset about this conversation, you just punch them in the face and say, I'm sorry, I couldn't have done any differently. (laughs) So if we're going to talk about free will, we need to clarify at least two things. We're not saying free will is the ability to do anything you want because Like in a football game, there's certain rules, right? You can make a decision to run the ball or throw the ball, but you can't like 
all of a sudden say the touchdowns over here and totally change all the rules. We no, you can we, though. Well, we can't fly. I, I right now, even if I wanted to, I couldn't just levitate off the ground and fly in the air okay. like Superman. Well, yeah, but, I didn't think that that was within, on the table. But, but within, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just clarifying some things. Within a certain bounds, fly. we have freedom <laughs> to make decisions, and free will is defined as the ability to have been able to have chosen otherwise. When you come up to a choice, free will is you have the option for real of being able. You are able to choose one way instead of another. So if you look back over your life and you see these choices, you're like, I could have done something differently. It's entirely possible. So that that's what free will is. And Maybe regret is a source for free will. <laughs> <Believe me. laughs> uh, no, it's interesting. And, and this is further, this is made further interesting by scientific discovery because I, I yes. you'll meet very few people these days who will argue we have so much free will that we can just disregard our cultural, social location. And we can just like, almost what Alan said, like just fly if we want to, like we, we are, we are predisposed by our environments, like to a heavy degree. Um, and by our also, own physical bodies too. our, our bodily processes right. determine even a lot of our thoughts and things like that. So if, if you have people in the scientific community that argue for free will, it's on top of the idea that we are predisposed through all of these factors that we don't have free will until a certain point, And then something arises that allows us to make decisions so we're very conditioned, but that's being either. But way. that's even be chip, chip. That's been chipped away at though. The the fact that we do have choices, mm-hmm. like there's a whole new um, scientific area called epigenetics, which I recently heard about a study about uh, lab mice being conditioned to be to fear cherry blossoms, cherry tree blossoms, and the mice were well they should (laughs) (laughs) cherry blossoms are terrifying so the mice were given unfortunately given shocks whenever you know to operantly condition them to fear cherry blossoms so the mice had this experiment done on them and were instilled with a fear of cherry blossoms and then they gave birth to another generation of mice those mice were afraid of cherry blossoms and not only those mice were afraid of cherry blossoms but their children were afraid of so to the second generation you could genetically pass on fear, which is bonkers if you think about it. And it's funny because I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I mean, in in the Pentecostal tradition I was raised with, and some of us um, were raised with this, that the um, ideas of generational blessings and curses, like the, you know, there's passages, I think like in Isaiah, the sins of the father will be passed on to other, to more generations, like to, to the fifth generations, but blessings will be passed on for more generations. And, and a lot of people are like concerned about ancestry and why does ancestry matter? And why do, why is it, why do we have a craving to know where our ancestors came from and what they did and how that affects us today? So there, there are a lot of people saying like there's emerging science that shows that we have we're way more conditioned psychologically and subconsciously than we even realize yes but the most recent i think cutting edge thing is actually rethinking that divide so for a long time since the 80s science and psychology has said we probably don't have free will most likely not there's not a consensus whatsoever but that's the direction it went but lately there's been the idea that even though given all of the conditioning given that our dna determines so much about us and our brain brain chemistry does, we still have the ability to respond and tamp that down to a certain extent. It's not as much power as we thought before, and it's much more conditioned, but there still is an element of thought that controls those da- those upward 
processes. So can we re- resist compulsion? And I no, heard, no, no. You have the compulsion. Yeah. Okay. Can yeah. You re- can you resist or can you engage with compulsion? Do you, are you ruled by compulsion or can you mm-hmm. get, engage with it? And I like so to the, think of it as the car that drives by and splashes you with mud, right? Like the impulse control. Your impulse right away is, man, that guy's a jerk. He went out of his way. He swerved off the road, hit a plut puddle and splashed me. Now I'm super angry. But then you look and you see someone on the middle of the road, this kid playing with a ball, and you realize he swerved out of the way. You start immediately because of a thought you have in your brain to to control your biological anger response. It immediately begins to affect that upward process that led you to where you were at. So we do have some sorts of impulse controls. The question is, does that thought, is that thought me? Like, am I the one? <laughs> the question of identity and like, it gets really philosophical, but I think in a religious context, instead of just asking all the um, philosophical questions, we have to ask, what is it like to deny that people have a real choice when it comes to moral decisions or when it comes to decisions about their own faith? Because I was taught that we don't have free will. We are a complete slave to sin is what I was taught. Until you become a Christian, then when you become a Christian, you have the freedom to respond to God. But you don't have that freedom until God allows you to have that freedom and you become one. So we were taught that people are slaves everywhere, all over the planet. I even used SpongeBob as an example when I was a youth pastor that (laughs) like there's a um, a episode of SpongeBob where the uh, the antagonist forgot his name. He's a little flea. And he like sells these buckets, right? Full of burgers and everybody gets a free bucket with their meal. And then all of a sudden they don't realize, but the buckets like clamp down on their head and now they're all slaves. Right. And I used to say sin is like that sin enslaves us. There's an element of that, 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 that is true. There are evil in our world when we participate in it, gain some sort of power and we just give it power like culturally. That's true. But I saw it in like a spiritual sense. This is what I was taught that you are a slave to sin. You can't choose God at all. You can't choose good at all until you become a Christian and you're given this newfound sense sense of freedom. So speaking about free will was important to us because it helped us determine like who was in, who was out, uh, how much control God had over the world. And it gave me these really weird ideas about God. Weird in my sense now that I think about it. It gave me weird ideas about what worship was what God wanted from me. And it took me a long time to realize that, you know, relationship with God is not like a dictatorship. Yes, God's in control and God created the universe, but I do believe God's love for the universe has given people freedom to respond or even the universe, however you want to define it. The whole universe has some sort of creaturely freedom and we cannot give in a relationship what we don't own. I really do believe this. This is what it comes down to for me. It's not about science or philosophy or whatever. In my own relational experience with God, if I don't own myself and my decisions, how the hell can I give that to God in a relationship in response? I can't. Oh, you're raising so many different questions. There, Alan. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how to parse all that out. I, I, you don't have to. That's my experience. You don't have to. <laughs> so I guess the core question is, are we asking, do our beliefs on free will affect the way that we live. Yeah. And when I hear your scenario, Alan, and then when I've talked to other people who are mm-hmm. vehemently, you know, Calvinist, whatever we want to call it, but that believe they don't, you know, they're whatever word you want to use that they don't have any agency or anything like that. They're the very ones that are so intent on enforcing choice on everyone else. Yes. Like 
and and the whole basis of not having free will or having free will comes down to a choice of choosing God, which makes on one level no sense to me, whatever. And I think, how can this belief that you have no choice really be affecting the way that you live when the way that you live is trying to dictate choice for everyone else around you? It, it and came I know down that's to a, semantics. It, it was like, that's those are different issues. I think Jeff that you're parsing out. No, it's it, no, it's true though. There there is an element of like to me hypocrisy in what i was taught some people would say that god ordains everything in the world that happens every single thing that happens in the world god planned it and god wanted it to happen so that's a question and, of providence and sovereignty not yes. necessarily free will. And ha- well those but, two things Im- impact each other because we were taught that god wanted you to have free will right so this is what some people believed god wanted you to have free will so it's all planned out but y- your plan and free will is still god's like direct action it's there- there are um, layers of, of questions. That yeah, layers of questions. But I, I think one of the biggest things for me in answering the question, how does your view of free will impact the way you move around mm. in the world and the way you see God? Because I, I've heard many different types of the argument that you were making before, Alan, which is interesting. So everybody, everybody in there, the way they grew up or what they've heard argued, you know, that it might vary differently. I've, I've heard people argue that <clears throat> sovereignty and, and uh, not having free will is the ultimate um faith in God's goodness. And that's very comforting for them. So, um, but I've also heard that, uh, God is so beautiful and God's beauty is so compelling that, and God appears to only some people, the elect. And therefore, um, when we respond to God, it's not actually our choice. It's God giving us the grace to make the choice that we, if we can take a step toward God, and this is Luther's original argument, if we can even take one step or even think about taking a step toward God, then we're not acting in grace and we're not accepting the gift of God in grace because we're doing something on our own. And therefore it's, he, Luther would say it's like utter blasphemy to think that we can even take mm-hmm. a step toward God or even think about taking a step toward God. You're so talking this, about the theological term prevenient grace that God enables you to make that step that you can't do it without God's enabling. Right. So I, I was trying to cite that as kind of an example of um, how your view on free will or not having free will might affect how you see God that, you know, you have, Mm. then you have to grapple with the idea of what kind of God would only reveal God's beauty to some people and not others. If God's beauty is utterly compelling and you don't, and it kind of evaporates the myth of free will in the glory of God, you know, so then you have to answer a different set of theological questions. If you do believe in free will, you answer another set of theological questions. So it has these weird ripple effects throughout you know, and if you see God in a certain way, then you you will walk around in the world differently and act differently, probably. Like if you see God as ultimately good and God's sovereignty is ultimately good, then you're going to tell people like, I'm sorry that horrible thing happened to you, but it's for the best, you know? How because do you see God, God now, Jeff? You've talked about your process. How do you see God now in this question with free will? Does God give people free will? Uh, <laughs> um, Can you tell well, me one way or the You know other? what? I, I think... We've kind of touched on this before. I don't remember which episode, but the idea that I don't think God has really anything to do with it in the sense that to say that a belief informs how we live to me is backwards, where I believe how we live informs how we frame our beliefs mm-hmm. and that that our experience are much more powerful than our worldview and that our worldview comes from our experience as opposed to our experience and actions coming from our worldview. So when someone says they believe in free will, my question is, well, how does that affect the way that you live? My question is, how did you come to that conclusion? Because I will have a better picture on how you live. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
So I, do, did God give me free will? I don't know. I would say if you were going to pin me down, I would say I believe that less than I used to. Maybe I've even come full circle because some of the neuroscience is compelling to me. Like you mentioned just in passing the, 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 the Libet experiment yeah. or is that how you pronounce mm-hmm. it? I don't know. But that, you what know, that? that he, well, his, his idea was like, he kind of set up this test for movement mm-hmm. and that then, you know, um, measured the brain waves. So the brain waves tell us that before the decision to move was made, the brain was already prepping for the move. People strapped their people had their arm, uh, they had their brain strapped up to a machine, and they, they were told when you see the light or whatever, move your arm. And so their arm would move before they consciously reported, like milliseconds before they consciously reported be making the decision so it's almost like their body reacted and then their brain said oh yeah that's what i meant to do and like put after the fact put will as some way to make sense of what their body was doing so he questioned yeah. the whole idea of interesting you tell, so yeah your body's responding to the world around you and it's just an illusion that you're even determining anything at all and so that's exactly that's what he said there now the, the so the second well, thing hold though, on was the germans said that that when that happens, they had a second th- impulse thing where someone stopped moving their arm. And there's it's really complicated, but they're questioning whether that's – but that's been accepted as like a, almost gospel by neuroscientists since 1985. So there, there's an element of truth and, to it. So we have like centers True. of knowledge and, and pathways of knowledge that s- sometimes circumvent language centers or consciousness centers of the brain. And it's what Jeff's talking exactly. about. It's like his, your experience gives rise to your beliefs. And trauma it. studies are super interesting in this way, too, because trauma experts say that trauma experiences, so experiences that you, that's the person who, who is a victim constantly suffers over and over again, those experiences and those memories actually get lock, locked into pre-linguistic parts of the brain. And you can only access them like through bodily functions that are non-linguistic and non-cognitive in a lot of ways. That's why a lot of trauma therapy is moving more toward like dance therapy and, and engaging people's bodies to help express and unlock the, it sounds like mumbo jumbo science, but um, it's interesting to think about how experiences of trauma really shape our experiences of living in the world without our consciousness being involved. So that's another whole element to this. Yeah, and you have sociological concerns like corrupt systems, how they affect choice and everything like that. So for me, for anyone to say we have 100% free will or not free will is misguided because there's so many elements and so many things that are influencing our choice. But I guess it boils down to ultimately, is it our choice? And I don't know if that's a God thing because really – even someone who's a determinist who believes that we have absolutely no free will and that everything we do is whether theologically you know, or scientifically, right? Whether they're exactly. material, materialism Re- determinist or not. I've never met any one of the, and I could be wrong and maybe there are people out there, but I've never met and I've never read about anyone who actually lives that way. They still live under the illusion of free will. They still pick their breakfast cereal. They still pick which coffee they're going to make. Like, whether or not free will exists, we still all live as though free will exists. Hmm. Well, at least in our part of the world, in our time in history, you know, that maybe that's a lot of the fallout of consumerism is, <laughs> is you have choices. Look how fun these choices are for you. And maybe that really does contribute to a larger system that keeps us thinking like consumers and acting like consumers. Maybe. It, it does impact, however, on the theological the theological realm, what I think about God and what I think about other people. If people who are have no 
choice whether they can do good or bad. I we infantilize people who are not Christians in one way or another. These people have no agent. We take away their agency. I think uh religiously speaking, yes, it makes no difference, Jeff, on an individual level on a day-to-day basis if you're like a materialist, a uh scientific determinist. You think everything is just physical processes. It doesn't necessarily impact your choices, but to tell a whole group of people like theologically speaking, God determines everything that happens. You start saying things like that tornado hit the planet because God determined it. Uh, that person made those choices because God determined it. And you take away, you condition entire groups of people like me become conditioned to think that we have less agency than we thought we did. So we're easier victims than people who are, it's like with a kid, wait, teaching wait, wait, a kid wait. you have power wait. to make decisions, right? Teach, uh, I, this is something we talked about before. Teaching a child that you have power to say no is an important element in becoming like a healthy adult, right? But if you teach it, if you train a kid to like say that they have no power, they have no agency, it really affects them on a psychological level. And wait, it's, it, we got to stick to one topic at a time, if you don't mind. I, I'm having trouble. Like, sorry, okay, if yeah. We have to part. You have to parse free will from tornadoes. Those are not the same thing. So you you got to sure. either talk about free will and our agency or okay. Providence and sovereignty. So, so one of those things, it determines this question matters about what I think about God on the one hand, and it matters about what I think about myself on the other. I think that uh, if you're, you know, if you think that you don't have a free will for one way because of science or whatever, it doesn't necessarily impact how you live, maybe. But I have seen theologically when you're told you don't have free will, it affects you psychologically and theologically it affects but see that to me that goes to someone else imposing on you like you as a person like for example and this is why i am where i'm at like alan knowing you and Mm -hmm. correct me if i'm wrong you have always as long as i've known you you've had this incredibly deep desire for the best for the people around you and even beyond that sphere and that has been your constant sure and i think that Everything that you believed comes down to that. So at a time when you believed that the world was this, you believed because that was the best because God, and I'm just making general assumptions. And now you're on the other end of free will where that core of who you are hasn't changed. You've just figured out a new philosophy to kind of attach to that, that better fits that core of who you are. And that's how I think we work is that someone who's putting that idea of control, whether they believe free will or not, who they are for whatever reason is controlling or they, they, you know? Yeah. But it couldn't be any other way. Like we are who we are and we think what we think because of who we are. Like that, that's a, that, yes, I understand that there's reasons for why we believe what we believe, but just looking at like the causative effect of one theology versus the other, like what kind of damage it does because of my background, I have a unique view of the damage that telling groups of people they don't have free will actually does to them. No, it and that's may, valid. I yeah. don't think we're trying to say that. What I was trying to say, though, is like earlier, is that you experience one iteration or one version of predestination. Yeah. Yes. And that's important to see. Yeah. Neo-Calvinism is what a lot of people call it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I know people who are Calvinists and, and determinists and don't believe that God sends Very tornadoes true. to punish people. So there, you know, there's, there's v- variety in that, and we don't want to just... We don't want to flatten this too much, right? Okay. But I, I do agree with what you're saying, though. It does have implications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me personally. Um, and that's all I can speak to. But like you said, that has less to do with the philosophy and the person communicating it. 
because you can have oh, the maybe. same philosophy depending upon who and how it's because I was at a provides different results. Yeah, because I had a certain personality, it was crushing. It's funny. I just read a book recently where in 1905, Edith Wharton wrote this book and she said this for this one guy, virtue actually became a, a vice and prudence was actually like a horrible thing for this person to embrace because of their personality to hear things like be humble. My personality to hear growing up, you need to be humble in, in youth group actually hurt me. There are some people that don't need to hear that. They need to hear the opposite. So I get, I get what you're saying. Being told you don't have free will might not affect one person, but it affects another person very deeply. I, I, I understand that. And I, I personally am affected by that just because of the way I'm, I'm wired. Yeah. But, Context is super important. But regardless, regardless, it still says something powerful about God. Did God, if God created a universe where there is no free will, and and I, I think my free will is attached to that's why I talk about tornadoes. My free will is attached scientifically to the free will of the universe. If there is not some sort of freedom in the universe for things to evolve and for things to happen, I it's hard for me to see myself outside of that because I do believe we're a product of this process. And so if there is no free will in the world at all, if God has determined everything that will happen, what does that say about God? You know what I mean? There there's some powerful implications about what we think about what God is. Yeah, I think of the def- the political definition of power as not as domination, but as the ability to affect change. As a lot of people will define it that way, and I I think it's interesting to think about it in terms of that definition. This whole conversation, you know, um, I do think a lot of times are we do have a um, a a myth or an illusion of power to affect change, um, but at the same time. I don't think who we are is fixed. I think we create who we are every single day to a large degree, to a much larger degree. Like whether we are conscious of it or not, we're choosing to participate in cultural norms and social norms. We're choosing to get out of bed. We're choosing to go to work. We might be heavily compelled, but we, we do have alternatives. So I think that does affect the way that you act and see in the world. For example, what if, what if um, the people leading civil rights had decided, you know, we really don't have that much choice involved. Like you could, you either have to say that God compelled civil rights to happen and basically like moved everybody around like robots, which I don't know, that could be possible. Or you have to say that like in that political moment, people decided that they were going to try to shape a different reality, even to the demise of their own person. Or that God inspired them and they responded. You know, Or, I, or I, that I God think, inspired and then they chose to respond. Right? I think it's yeah. interesting. This comes to a head for me when we talk about disaster i remember jeff going through this process because i did too jeff jeff and i've known each other for 10 years and we were both in you know different we were both in the evangelical setting from different perspectives coming at this question and we talked about it quite often and i remember thinking like every bad thing that happens in the world every bad choice a human being makes can be attributed to the feet of god because god knew it was going to happen and if God knew the ambulance was going to run someone over and didn't pull them out of the way or whatever, whether God acted or not, God still had the power to and God chose not to. That said something about all the bad things in the world. They're actually good because they're ordained by God. When tragedy happens, we could just say, oh, but God planned it. God wanted it this way. And it was good. And there was no room in the grieving process, in my opinion, to be able to say, no, this is bad. Again, this should not that's have a happened. providence and sovereignty thing, not a free will thing. It is. It is a free will thing, though. How? Say a human being makes a decision to do something wrong. No, you're talking about accidents. No, uh, let's just talk about a human being doing something wrong. Okay. That, that that was an example about God stepping in or not, right? Someone someone chooses to kill somebody. Okay. Right. 
if God, if this was free will, you could just say that sucked and that person did something wrong and it should not have happened and God didn't want it to happen. Right. But if that person doesn't have free will, theologically speaking, God ordained that to happen. It may be comforting that God is in control, but then it says something about that situation. It's no longer a moment. You can't afford to step back and say that should not have happened. And God is upset about this. Well, wouldn't you can't okay, say so, that, right? No, you, you, that's could. why I think it's problematic to bring God into the situation because you are trying to, but put it's what matters. To, what matters to me and people in belief contexts where God I, is very I important in their lives. No, it's, hold it, on. I want to be devil's advocate for a minute. What you said earlier, Alan, <laughs> is that you, you said that the salving work, the saving work of Jesus. F- like gives people access to free will so they can choose to the good. That's yes? what I was taught. Growing okay. Up. Yeah, yeah. But actually in your example of someone killing somebody, you could say that they are acting out. If you believe that theology, that they are acting out. I don't their believe that car- theology. Hold on. <laughs> Just let me talk. You could say that that person who's, who's murdering someone is acting out their carnal nature because of the fall and that they don't have the free will to do good because they have not been enacted upon by grace yet. So actually that theology is consistent. You don't have to agree with it, but it actually does make sense. And you no, could still say, no, 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 and you could still say that God is, you could still God say that, determined it. You know what I mean? No, no, I don't think there, there are very few Calvinists who believe that God would determine and cause someone to kill somebody else. There, that's, that's a very, very fringe view. You could still say that because that person who murdered was not, free in Christ to do good that God is grieved by that act and God didn't want it to happen. Like you could still, that's a soft determinism, but I'm trying to say that there's shades of this in between. There are, but I think the way that it was taught to me growing up, you were taught to see all things as good, right? Job had all his kids die in the Bible because wind kept hitting the house, but he could still tear his cloak and say, God is good. God, you know, and we were taught in the sense that because God's in control, there's, it may seem bad, but it's really good because God has a plan. And like those kinds of things to me interrupt the grieving process. And that's yeah, no, I and I think that's hugely dangerous. And I, I have also heard of a study recently being done on people who hold neo-Calvinistic views. And there's a there's a pretty strong uh, data correlation between that and domestic violence. Like basically suffering is for the best. And so we're going to even not only allow suffering to happen, but also call it good. And I think that... What you're saying, yeah, Adam, like you're you're, put, you're hitting on something super, super important. And it's all connected. You can't just parse it out. It's all like deeply interwoven in theology and psychology. Yeah. At least in my brain. Yeah. And for me, I read it feministically too, because it, it tends to be communities who hold these beliefs who are also very um, complementarian, who do uplift male authority as being more supreme than female authority or female agency and and that holds huge problems for mm. for gender-based aggression so yeah i it mean was it's freeing to hear jeff in those moments to say that maybe god didn't want that to happen god doesn't actually determine all the actions of individuals you know what what did you say in those moments jeff <laughs> back then, i don't remember. Back then. let me get, <laughs> let me get the, this point out real quick okay so all of that is great because you're high hypothesizing a situation where someone gets killed or someone dies or whatever. But when someone in your family is finally killed and you are now experiencing that situation, none of that makes a difference. Maybe 
the free will argument, like you guys are talking about, does affect like an overall society change as far as how things move forward. But in that moment, the decisions that you make are almost never consistent with the philosophy that you have in this, because how many times and how many stories in those contexts, when people walk away from the faith or backslide or whatever we want to call it, it's the result of some kind of tragedy that doesn't fit what they believe because in that moment, they know more and realize more about themselves because it's unfiltered. So like all that's great and nice and you can put an either or situation in that scenario where someone dies or gets killed or you're hurt by someone, but it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't. It, does. it doesn't, Why doesn't matter doesn't it to matter? you. Hey, if you want to start talking about people's personalities, I'll just say, Jeff, because your beliefs don't affect you to that degree, you can say that. But to somebody whose beliefs actually affect the psychology in their brain, like I do believe that people's beliefs temper how they respond to a situation. I know people who respond to tragedy very differently because they believe God is in control. It really does have this top-down sort of effect on who they are. And if they think that God's not determining it, it's scary for them. You know what I mean? It's scary for me, and I don't believe it. I think that situation is way too nuanced to make a call either way on what that person is and how that that philosophy has influenced where they're at. But whole community, and that's my problem with all of this. No, wait, what? But you can you can say how a whole community responds to tragedy. The words we choose to say. Like the stuff that the community says about a tragedy is affected by how, like I've You're seen pastors about comfort get up, mechanisms. Then. Yeah, I see. I see pastors get up and say like, not making any excuses, not even saying God like wanted this to happen, you know, or there's no like silver lining necessarily that God is grieving with us too about this. Maybe what I'm decision. saying is that it's much easier to shift the focus of a group of people than it is an individual. Yeah. So in that scenario. You can, I think you can mobilize a group of people and influence a group of people in their philosophies as they move forward. But an individual is less likely to follow that because different circumstances may arise or may. Oh. I think it's hard to say that for certain, though. I mean, I think it depends on the person. But it, it, I, I don't know. To say that it just doesn't matter. I think it doesn't matter in terms of free will. Like it, it doesn't matter in terms of like. Does what I believe specifically about free will, is that the worldview that's affecting my decision in this moment? It did to me. It may be a part of it, but I don't think that we can say that any one issue by itself informs the decisions or the reactions that we have to life. I think it, I think, a combination it abs- of I think it's super important for f- processes of forgiveness and grief, though. Like, how do you, if you... If you believe in a form of determinism, like scientific determinism, you might have more compassion for the killer because the killer had trauma or the killer had been abused or the killer had witnessed something that or had a psychological issue or a mental issue. You know what I'm saying? Like there there are a lot of forms of this that do matter. Maybe, maybe maybe the reason I brought my own personal anecdote is because I think this it brings it into sharp relief, what I'm trying to say and where I think we disagree. The reason I bring God into this is because it affects my relationship with God. There is a moment, actually, and no joke, I was on like a treadmill at the moment in the gym when I had this like ever before and ever after in my faith. Before that moment, I honestly thought that I had no control in my relationship with God, and I was just responding to the love of God. God wooed me, and I didn't have any sort of participation or agency. I really didn't think I had that. I even resented, um, like in Mark Twain, there's this. There's this, I think it's Huckleberry Finn. There's a guy standing on top of a roof and he's uh, sitting in a chair or something and he has a shotgun and he says, I, uh, 
I get pissed whenever anything brings a man to his knees. He's he, you need to be self-determined. That's the only true way to be a human. I remember reading that and it's speaking to me, but being so appalled at it theologically, like that's horrible. That should not be a part of our conception because we need to be ultimately humble. God is in control. My faith up to the point of being on that treadmill was like, I am literally have no part in this. I am just at the whim and will of God when it comes to my relationship with God and my relationship with the world. At that moment, though, I finally had the realization of why that spoke to me and where I was led up to theologically, a moment when I embraced the fact that I do have choice, that God has created in me a creaturely freedom that is totally conditioned, but a creaturely freedom to, yes, respond to God or not, changed my relationship with God and changed the way I do ministry. So that move in philosophy, Jeff, you, you you might say that that happened because of other reasons or whatever, but at least for me thinking philosophically, like it, it changed the way that I relate to God. Like I, I have a responsibility to bring myself to God in a totally different way. And I experience God's love in a different way. Now it's not love uh, in the sense that I experienced before, but love in the sense that freedom is, Love it looks like not just controlling power, but giving somebody the freedom to respond. Anyway, it's a very powerful moment for me, and I think it determines things. True. 100% agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's why this conversation sucks is because it's almost like circular reasoning we did yeah but but that's that story it's beautiful whether you're on one side or another uh you're right jeff there is an element that it is almost semantical because it's it's almost an exercise in intangible philosophy and i think that's both like why why you've resisted it but i do believe embracing one way or another does make a difference in your life yes and well i think it it does the determinism does cause us to have this cosmic insecurity. And actually this has been documented by people who study Protestantism, like Luther's insecurity, for example, Luther talked about in his giant tome against Erasmus and against free will. When he he made that argument, like we can't even think about taking a step toward God. Like he, he wrote that the soul is basically a beast of burden, a pack animal that any rider can ride at any moment, either God or the devil. And we never quite know which one. We can never know which one. So we have to trust that we're being led in the goodness of God with absolute non-clarity. And so I think I think it causes this insecurity of our soul because it causes us to be constantly like trying to discern, but never knowing completely whether what we're doing is good or not. But I think that that, cause, that can cause some problems. Like, for example, I'm waiting to hear back to see if I can get into PhD programs. And I've been like losing my mind with anxiety because I don't have um, a security to of a belief structure that says the best thing will happen. Sometimes mm. the best thing doesn't happen. Sometimes you don't get into the program that you feel like was your calling or your destiny. It just doesn't. And so it's easier for me to believe in cosmic chance and dice rolling than to believe that God would withhold something good from me. And I think it's, so I'm thinking of this instance with my mom, we were sitting in the car and we were arguing about prosperity gospel <laughs> and that that's an idea of free will, right? Like you, you sow your resources into God's economy and God blesses you, but you do it. Like you're the one who takes initiative and God blesses you as a result of your faithfulness, right? 
that really does come out of like free will theology. And so we were arguing and she's like, well, you know, God, sometimes God just blesses me. And I just know that God blesses me. And I said, well, what about all the people who starve every day and can't feed their kids? Like, does God not bless them? Does God not love them enough? You know, how can, for me, determinism breaks down at that point. And so we were arguing back and forth about this. And she goes, no, it only works in the positive. It's only if you get, if you get blessed, it's God. If you're not blessed or you lack, then that's it's not single God. predestination. Like, people would believe God predestines people to blessing, but not no, to punishment. That, that, no, that's similar. No, it, she didn't believe in, she's a total free will person. That's sure. what I'm trying to say. Like, so these are where co- concepts of sovereignty blend into free will, but, but yeah. people who believe in prosperity gospel actually believe that they take the initiative to sow into God's economy and go, they are directly blessed for their free actions. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's what we were talking about. Anyway, as we're debating this, I kid you not. A $5 bill floats down the road about two feet from the side of the car. And my mom's like, see, God sent that dollar bill to tell you that I'm right. And I was like, oh, my God. And Suck I'm like, it, Mona. You, know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm losing my crap over That's this. Awesome. And, and so, okay, so that I think that you're you're right. And I think that everyone's right and wrong in this situation. <laughs> but, okay, so for me, it comes down to the matrix. And let me explain. <laughs> I think the unsung hero of the Matrix is Cyrus, who says ignorance is bliss, regardless of what the truth is, because none of us will never know. Maybe we'll have a better idea depending upon what is researched or whatever. Our beliefs in moments of tragedy are there to bring us comfort. And if they're not bringing us comfort, then it puts us into a place of deconstruction or whatever we want to call it that pushes us into some other belief that will help frame that. Our brain does it when we look back on past experiences, our future experiences begin to reshape what that whole thing looked like. And if in a moment, a certain philosophy gives me hope, then great, amazing. And I will look back on that and I will be thankful for that. What if God gave you that philosophy? Jeff, to believe in. What's that? What if God gave you that philosophy to be comforted by? It looks like avoidance. It Fine. Sometimes it's and, and, and if I want to believe that a $5 bill is a blessing from God and it gives me hope in that moment, that's fine. But I can still have that same experience and another belief that gives me just as much hope, if not more. And it's it's flowing. It's always back and forth. So to, I don't know. It, it, that's why for me, it always goes back to what comes first, the belief or your desire to have belief or feel comfort and i think it's the other way around and i think that the philosophy is is inconsequential compared to the reason you're adopting that philosophy the reasons definitely mm. matter i mean i think we are we affect that, each other so deeply though so are we saying they matter more will affect other people wait so are we saying that our views on predestination of free will are conditioned because that's what he's saying that's a predestined that's, that's a predetermined argument yeah, and I would say I'm much more predeterminist than I used to be, but I might not be tomorrow if it helps. Scientifically predetermined, though, right? You're saying, like, scientifically speaking, not a theological... But then ultimately God, because I believe that mm-hmm. God has some level in that. That's what I'm saying, is that... And, and, Alan, that's why for, I think for as long as we've known each other, when we have these conversations, which is proof from this conversation, you like to jump in and put a definition on what we're talking about. Here is what you mean by this. Here's the term. And I've never been comfortable with that, because for me... Maybe this is, again, just my nature, which probably goes more towards my argument. But to put something in a box or definition means, for me, it restricts me from changing in the future. See, if that I, makes any I, sense. Yeah, and I don't feel beholden to anything at any point. I can freely move in and out of isms and stuff, but you can't talk about it if it's if there's no terms. It's difficult to talk about. Like right now, I'm trying to resist the 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 feeling of 
I'd love to throw out. There's so many terms we're not talking about. We're not talking about middle knowledge. We're not talking about all these different options, how God's predestination or inner sovereignty works with our free will. Cause I do think that's where the conversation ends up theologically. Um, I'm resisting all that stuff, but I think it's important because I think it does say what you think about God. And I think what I think the philosophies that you hold or subscribe to do affect people very powerfully. And the way you respond in in grief will affect how someone else responds. Yeah, but um, the question isn't how it affects other people. The question is, how does it affect us? Okay, I'll just say this. Uh, I do think hardcore determinism, theologically speaking, helps us avoid grief, helps us avoid the human condition. Nobody can avoid grief. No, yeah, you, like avoidance. You know, the psychological term avoidance, where you're not actually right. dealing with a problem, you're just shoving it into a different part of your experience and okay. letting and like not dealing with your pain. I think that what happens with that is we we create entire scenarios where people are pushed into avoiding their pain more than they are confronting it. And I think that that happens. Agreed. But they can use either philosophy to avoid that pain. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. 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 So what I'm saying, but I'm not is, talking about the individual level. I'm talking about the philosophy itself. I is the it bigger? I think the bigger thing at stake is what is what we tell people in those times. Yeah, and that's what theology is. Honestly, that's all theology and philosophy is: is telling people the way that the world or God no. is in those situations. That's a big that's part not, of it. That's not all it is. Though. <laughs> I'm not saying that's all that's it is, a, but that's, that's a big a part, part of, it. of it. It's talking about God. It's a big part theology of theology. Is if you're talking a about God? Yes or no? Theology is yes, talking about But as God. soon as you make a statement that's systematic or this is a thing, then you apply it. It's It no longer becomes something that can change. That's not true. That's not true. I I, I think that we're maybe – It's not like true for devolving. you, but it's true I, for me. I feel me. like we're devolving into semantics. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like sure. – well, and I think that's important sort of in the sense that I'm – totally fine within one moment, maybe even like right now being a determinist and walking out the doors of this bedroom slash studio and then totally a hundred percent believing in free will because I have an interaction with one of my daughters. I think it's a paradox. I'm fine with it. I think it's a paradox. I think it's like a quantum esque paradox. You know how in quantum theory a wave and a particle can exist at the same time and are the mm-hmm. same? Like they're they're two they're in two simultaneous states at once. And I think this is very similar for me. Like we are both utterly determined and we have a lot more choice than we realize a lot of times. But that also is there are very people that go that direction world. and I but think there, that that avoids the philosophical question. But you're right. A no. lot of people do go that direction. Wait, no, that's not what I was going to say. <laughs> I th- I was going to say, I think that can be a very first world way to look at it, though, because opportunity and choice are really conditioned by your social location. And a lot of people in the world do not have free choice. They might have free will, but they don't have choice. And so they'll, they don't get to test their free will because there's no choice, you know? So I think a lot of it determines, is, is depends on the society in which we live. So I think we can go around and around about this issue. Uh, because we're, I think we're kind of headed into that place. So let's let's do our takeaways or our answers to the question: mm-hmm. Does free will affect whatever the question is? What is the question? Uh, okay, so the, I, I heard. Does our view and free will affect <laughs> yes. the way we live? Or I hear a world? different opinion than mine, but my opinion is uh, that our our convictions about free, our belief about free will, absolutely does affect the way we live and the way we interact with each other and with God. Because I've seen that in my own life. Do you want? What do you think, Jeff? I would say, for some people, yes, and for some people, no. And that 
do I believe it right now? I would probably lean towards no, but I'm open to yes. <laughs> you don't believe that it affects. I'm just saying live. yes and no. Like, honestly, I don't think I can, I can feeling that I'm consistent with who I am and my personality to say yes or no, because it's so, I agree with everything that we've said here, <laughs> everything that we've said based off of certain circumstances and certain moments, depending upon where I've been. Because, Alan, the things you describe, I've been in those moments, and they've been super comforting. I've been in other moments where it hasn't been, and I had to change, and it, that became comforting. So I guess I'm just saying that I am far more progressive than most people. And <laughs> I'm just joking. We're, we're, no, I think wait, you're a functionalist, Jeff, are, is are what you, it would be are, you, are you talking about <laughs> – I'm sorry. We have to, I, I'm not completely clear. Are you talking about free will or about the effects of belief in free will? Because we're not talking talking about about, free will, right? I'm talking about do my beliefs in free will affect the way the world, right? Or affect us. And yes, it has. But right now it doesn't. Got it. And maybe tomorrow it will again. So it can. It can, but it can't. (laughs) (laughs) Schrodinger's cat. Um, Yeah, exactly. I think that it is an interesting mental exercise to think through all this stuff. And I... I love thinking about this stuff. I think at the end of the day, when we're considering like right and just and loving ac- courses of action in the world, um, you could say that if you figure out what is the most loving and just and right uh, action at any single moment that you could conceive of in your imagination is also the will of God because God is loving and just. Therefore, that has a component of determinism. I think that the dualism of that argument falls apart. It actually, at the end of the day, if you identify what is the most loving and right thing and what is the good, you can also argue that God has predetermined and foreknown it. So you can't, like, that's what we're getting at. You can't know. But I think the the idea of living into our own freedom of imagination and exploring the good is more important than getting sidetracked by is it determined or is it free will? I think focusing on our freedom to discern and to think and to churn on and to wrestle with what is the good is is a more important vocation and use of our time that's well said thanks i i agree yeah no that i think that's that's very well said because hopefully Cause it'll just that, line up with god's will if that's what you believe anyway <laughs> yeah right and i think that we're all coming from the perspective where we've all gone through the for the most part, the deconstruction and the construction of this. But I would say that all of us, whenever we were in transition about whether we had free will or not, it was a struggle and it was difficult. And I don't, none of us mean to lighten that struggle because it's real and it's difficult and it, and we have to walk through it. But at the same time, I've, I've worked really hard to be fine with, you know, paradox and inconsistencies and tension in my life, but it was, it was work and it's still hard sometimes. But I think that, in certain moments, it's a it's a nice place to be. I don't like it. I don't like paradox. Why? There are some things that are unresolvable, though. So at least working toward consistency is very important for me. No, like paradox is. But to say that I'm fine with paradox is not saying that I've given up. <laughs> it, uh, paradox is built the into the fabric of our universe, it, Alan. It, yeah, there's mystery everywhere. That ir- ir- irreconcilably paradoxical built into well the good thing is that on the other side of the music the segment will leave no room for paradox because we have to choose would you rather that was an excellent segue jeff (laughs) thank you you are the segue king all right well 
Obviously, we have a lot of opinions on this particular issue, so let us know what you think. If you have anything to add to the conversation, you can do that at irenacast.com slash 53. That's irenacast.com slash 53. There you also find helpful links that are related to this particular conversation. If you have anything not related to this conversation, you can contact us anytime at irenacast.com slash feedback. We welcome your questions, comments, and concerns for the show. So I think after <laughs> after the conversation we just had, this is perfect because we can leave with some closure. Would you rather this or this, black or white? We're going to make a definitive decision either way with no ambiguity. <laughs> I was going to say that was one of our most awkward conversations. So thank you all for sticking through it. <laughs> we had to parse it I afterward it. endlessly. Yeah, we, ha- we did have a, a long internal conversation uh, about things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, can I say the first would you rather? Or yes, you want to announce? Do. Sorry, you're going to announce it. I took I stole your thunder. We don't need to announce it. I think everyone knows the rules of this game. Yep. Would you you give us two scenarios and we pick which one we would go with. Okay. Of our own Are free you ready? choice. Mm-hmm. Okay, would you rather have fingers that look like hot dogs forever or have tears that are acidic? <laughs> I'm going to go with the fingers. Easy. You, or dude, every every dude, it's fine. Sausage fingers no big deal. Hot, your sexist. fingers are like hot dogs. Do I, like your do fingers they taste are actually like hot dogs? Because I'll like no, lick my fingers. <laughs> but they actually look like hot dogs, like in a freakish oh, like way. Actual hot, like what kind of hot dogs? Yes. though? If it's like like hot, like hot dogs, like, like Oscar Mayer wear hot dogs. Okay, so are not, they like Dodger dogs, where they're like four feet long. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a superpower. You have hot dog fingers. No, we're not just talking like fingers that resemble hot dogs. We're talking about like <laughs> fingers that really resemble hot dogs. <laughs> I'm I'm going with the finger still. Uh, me too. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want hot dog hurt. fingers. Really? You would rather burn yeah. your face every time you cry. Yeah, I'll just force myself not you to cry. hold it in all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If it was <sighs> three years ago, I would go with the tears because I never cry. But now Ooh. I cry all the time. Aww. Oh, Jeff, softy. I'm so glad you're in touch with your feelings. That's so cool. That makes, Is it because you have happy. babies? Is that why? It's their fault. It's it's Aww. the girl's fault. It's their fault. Like seriously, I cry at everything. I, I probably like twice a day. Proud of you, Jeff. Like sometimes. Proud of you. See, you used to laugh at me when I cried back in the day whenever I watched commercials at your house, but now you're you, you're in touch. You, you're talking like this is a positive thing, and I'm not so sure. <laughs> it is. It's emotional intelligence. It's empathy, responding yeah. to the world around you. <laughs> Crying Breaking doesn't equal emotionally, emotional intelligence or you empathy. You are a pioneer of masculinity. Shoving it all deep down inside doesn't equate. To emotional intelligence. All right, here's mine. <laughs> ant, would you rather be an like an ant, the animal, an ant, or a tree? <laughs> what the hell kind of if question you were is that? Forced right now to become one. Which one would you be? Tree. They will live way longer and they're majestic. But you have to an s- ant. stand still. Because no one will life. carve their initials into me. <laughs> That's like minor, but you get to be you get to house creatures. Aww. amongst your branches you have a relationship with a small boy and as he gets older he keeps chopping little pieces of you off and then eventually you're just a stump you guys know so i can never have some time to, to myself there's always gonna but be someone living in my branches <laughs> you'd have company but you'd have to stand still you know what i mean what what if oh, you're yeah, like, i couldn't do that you, you but an ant can be smooshed yeah but an ant is like a superhero like super a superhero. strong what is it like 50 times their own weight mm-hmm. or something but talk yeah, about no stadium. free choice like ants have to obey their leader 
it's kind they're of queen. they're fascists. So wait, Jeff, you'd be an ant. Mona, you'd yeah. be a tree. That's pretty awesome. Absolutely a tree. Absolutely. I I would probably be an ant. Probably. So far, this uh, our answers are walking a gender line. Oh. Ooh. Let me see if I can break that up a little bit. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Would you rather travel in the past and meet your ancestors or travel to the future and meet your descendants? Ooh, that's hard. Didn't we have a, a no, question no, no. like that the last The question time? was, would you rather have a machine that can only go in the future or one that can only go in the past? So how's this, this is different? different. Do you want okay. to know where you're going or where you're coming from specifically yeah. your family? If you had a chance to meet your descendants or your ancestors, which one would you pick? Hmm. I'm not sure I'm going to have progeny, so I would Let's say just assume ancestors. you do. Let's just assume you accidentally have thousands. Yeah. No, the assumption is you will have No, I don't want to assume that. You don't want the patriarchy to even have control over you, even in your mental exercises. That's It's not necessarily <laughs> patriarchal to have progeny. Wait, to have two men on a podcast telling you, yeah, you're going to have kids in this scenario. You have kids <laughs> right now. <laughs> Keep your hypothetical babies away from right? me. That's a hard one, Jeff. <laughs> Honestly, that that's really hard. Really difficult. I'm going to say ancestors. I I'm going to say ancestors too because it's kind of a closed loop. Like your descendants, like you could, you know, have a future progeny that's an axe murder or something. And I don't <laughs> yeah. want to be disappointed. <laughs> that was the catalyst for me. I I would go with ancestors really? as well because we you don't want to be disappointed. Everyone's like, I just don't want to be disappointed in my kids. That's it. Well, not only that, but <laughs> if you pass on when I come back it would affect every decision I make. Like I would live in constant anxiety of, well, can I change this? Can I do this? But if I just know the past where I came from, it would make my life now much more bearable. Interesting. Okay. Would you rather win an Oscar for being Leonardo DiCaprio's butt double or win a Nobel prize for curing cancer through poop research? Easy. Nobel, Easy? Nobel prize. You'd want to study poop your whole life. No, I don't. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is an easy one. I'm going with the butt double. I'm going to go with the cancer research. Makes the assumption that I have a butt good enough to replace Leonardo I, DiCaprio. Oh <laughs> I see, I would rather not have a good butt and study poop my whole life to actually bring good to the world. That, than... that I would go with the Nobel Prize also, I think. All right. Would you rather be your own parent? Like you have to parent yourself. Like, your parent is you. You grow up your whole life with you as your parent. Or would you rather be your own kid? So if I had a child, hypothetically speaking, <laughs> and that child was me and my person, my person, my yeah, iteration, but then yes. I would be dissociated from myself yes. as the child and only occupy You would only have your own parent. experience, but you, yeah, the other thing would be you. So... This question doesn't make it sense. It does make sense, right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it made sense initially, but now that you've tried to explain it, I'm not so sure. <laughs> That's like our conversation. See? Free will. Paradox. Is a paradox. Alan. Okay. I'll, I'll, let's just break it down. Would you rather have a parent <laughs> like you or a kid like you? Okay, so that's a different question. Oh, I can get with okay. that. One. It's like the same okay. thing. Would yeah. your parent would you like to have a parent that was exactly like you or a kid that was exactly like you? I think I'd be a fun parent, but I'd also be a fun child. Right? So it's a hard yeah. hard question. Which one? Yeah. Uh, that's an easy one. Because I parented myself, <laughs> it would be nice to have a parent with my sensibility. So Ooh, I'm going to go good. with a parent. Me too. I'd like, I'd like to have a parent like me, even though both my parents were amazing. I just 
My mother tells me all the time I'm a blessing and a joy, so I think I would be a good <laughs> child to somebody. <laughs> she does. She tells me that all the time. She's my only fan. Okay, so my last one is, would you rather have no one show up to your wedding or no one show up to your funeral? Easy, wedding. No, funeral. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> She's <all> easy. <laughs> I'm going to go with funeral because I'm not going to be there. Yeah. Oh, see, I disagree wholeheartedly. Rather, I'm saying wedding. <laughs> For some reason, nobody showing up to your funeral says something about like your character as a person. Yeah, and and I'm I'm in this scenario. I'm going with the possibility that you get to look down on the funeral from heaven. Sure, and I'd like to see that. So, so you're right. I don't care what people say about me. I care that people are involved in the joys of my life. You know what I mean? No, I care what people say. <laughs> I don't care what people think about me at the end. My to me, a wedding is socially exhausting. You have to talk to all these people you barely know. Oh and they're gosh, saying all these platitudes. So Weddings are so about. dumb. No, they're so fun. It was like Alan, your wedding time. was amazing. Probably the greatest time in my life was when you two was playing um, the sweetest thing. We were cutting our cake. I was like looking out like 230 people of people that I absolutely dearly loved. Oh, so wonderful. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoyed what you hear and you want to support the show, you can go see all the ways to do that at irenacast.com slash support. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm an ant with sausage fingers. <laughs> Thanks for joining the conversation. That was... And you're a tree that, you're, that is your own kid. No, I, I went with ant. I was talking ant sausage fingers. All right, I got to go, kids. See ya. See y'all later. Adios.